Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. everybody happy friday welcome into morning footy we have made it to the end of the week and merry almost christmas to everyone who celebrates going to be a nice fun long weekend hope you all enjoy it with your uh, friends and family i am going to enjoy the show today because i'm with my favorite guys alexis gross charlie davies nigel rio coker i'm ali trost martin and it's footy kit friday as well yes. some good uva representation on the desk mm-hmm. us two on these uh, on either ends and for all of you watching Please submit your uh, your your kits today. I don't know. Footy kit Friday. Footy kit Friday. Hashtag. Footy Friday. Hashtag. Let's see them. Yeah, maybe Footy a little. I, I, I yes. challenge you to have a nice little holiday edition. We want to see you get creative with this. Uh, yeah, foot, we're. Yeah. No more foot jokes on the show this week, <laughs> guys. Let's get into the big news that came down yesterday, and that was that the EU court rules that UEFA and FIFA's ban on the Super League was illegal. There has been so much that's developed since uh, this all came to light. Yesterday, we had a lot of guests join, join us on the show to talk more about it. Jeff Shreves, Guillaume Balaguer. So we didn't really get a chance to give all of our reactions. Um, and, and we also have seen a lot of teams come out now with statements rejecting the European Super League. Uh, so these clubs have wasted no time making it known how they feel about uh, this, this proposed thing that uh, has really just kind of dominated the headlines over the last 24 hours. But if you'll take a look, the teams that have the asterisks next to their name were part of the original Super League plan. So these clubs have since come out and said that they are, are not uh, in favor of, of this Super League project. Here's a list of, uh, so a lot of teams, as you can, as you can see, we needed two, two different screens of graphics just to show every single squad. Um, Charlie, I want to start with you. Why do you think that it's been such a quick reaction from the clubs to get um, a statement out in light of, uh, of this news. I think because they saw the initial reaction from, from the supporters, from various clubs, from leagues, that this is going against everything that football stands for in creating a, an exclusive league. And so, you know, when you, when you see clubs like Manchester City, Man United, Bayern, Inter, Chelsea, PSG, Roma, Tottenham, Liverpool, that, that's a statement. You can't have a Super League without those clubs being a part of it. So uh, I'm, uh, I think, you know, there's, uh, on one hand, you have the monopoly, is what they're saying is UEFA has this monopoly in FIFA on the Champions League. But on the, on the other hand, it's, this has always been the way so that everyone can participate if they have a good season. They, they mm-hmm. earn it versus... No, you got to be in the Super League where we're all about greed, baby. So um, it, it's good to see that they didn't back out and say, okay, now that that ruling's out, we're in. Yeah. I don't think it's that simple. I think for some of the clubs, I, I think they're using it as a PR stunt because this helps cover what they're going through. And in particular for me, I feel like a club like Manchester United, they've been shambolic for so long. They're getting heavily criticized. 
what better time now to take the attention away from the poor performances and the management situation, the recruitment situation. I say, oh, we're not part of this Super League because of the fans. Like, the reality that I feel is football clubs now are not owned by local businessmen who grow up in that city or that town supporting that club, who the club is a symbol of who they are and who they became. The reality of it is these clubs are owned by businesses mm. and companies. They're in it to make money. They know there's money to be made in football. So I don't take these statements as the gospel truth. I think they're just trying to save face and make it seem that they really care about the fans. And I feel deep down, they want to make money. If this, this whole thing now, it's not an easy conversation. There's so many elements you're going to look into it. And I feel that some of these clubs are secretly holding talks. They're waiting to see how it could be formatted in a way where they can keep everyone happy, where they can make more money. The, the, these, the these, problem is there is no way that makes everyone happy. There isn't going to be any way, but these big clubs will want to make money. But at money. the end of the that's, day, that's don't, you, don't you feel like that the priority, as unfortunate as it is to say, will be the financials? 100%. The money? If we, if we really sit back and think that, the, that these teams are saying no to this right now, simply because of the fans, it's being naive. Yeah. Fans are a part of it. They certainly don't want their supporters to be mad at them. They don't want the, the outrage. They don't want no, the it's, outpouring. It, it's, it'll hurt their pockets. Business-wise is why they're saying, "Hey, we're not in, we're not going to get into this because they they don't know how many people can will actually be a part of the Super League." Yeah, so everyone has to right now say like, "We have no plans to be on yes. this. Our 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 position hasn't changed, so on and so forth." The truth is, as this goes forward, if it presents an opportunity for these clubs to make untold millions more than they're currently making now, they will sell it to their fan base as, well, we're putting our club at a position to lose if we don't, because we want to get the best players. We want to give you guys the best competition, so we're going to have to join this. And it may not it may not satiate that fan base, but over time, these clubs are going to do Listen, what they want, and it's a shame, as much because as it's out of the hands of the fans. As much as we're passionate about football, the reality of it is you have to accept it's a business. You know, that's something that when you play through it as well, we had to, I, had, I saw that change. And I had to accept the business side of football because you hear it. And I know ex-players who've gone into that business administ administration role and they just see business. And I have to look at them and say, bro, you used to be a player. Remember what it was like? He's like, I know, but this is the game that you're in now. And a lot of these clubs are owned by businesses, um, corporations. They're in it just to make money. I think that it's naive. I think there's an element where culture does play a part. So for me, German clubs have always been about their fan base, their city. I think Germany as a nation, they will be one of the few nations in Europe that will be completely against it because of what football means to the club, the country and the culture. But legally now, they can't join anyway because of the 50 plus one rule. Yeah, like but now, that's what I'm saying. They've got social contracts with their fans. Like in England now, the English government's getting involved because they know that the British government can lose money because of what football brings to the nation and the revenue it brings into the government, so they won't want English clubs to be part of it. And but England what it don't does, need it. Yeah, England, they don't need it. England don't need it because they have it. But yeah, a uh, club like Barcelona, Real Madrid, La Liga, is is not strong financially. Mm -hmm. And so you have a, a team like Barcelona, who's man, they're in the red. They're trying to pull all these different levers. They're flying to town. They need that. <laughs> they were they, in Texas. Yeah, just this they need weekend. that guaranteed <laughs> income. Yeah. And, and you look at some of ML, MLS, NBA, NFL, it's guaranteed income every year. There's no but fear how, how, of relegation, which the European teams are like, how can we continue to, to the, raise the profile know, and have this guaranteed income? And a lot of it, so we don't have to work, go do this seesaw. Yeah. 
My biggest thing just to add to that is for me is it's like, when do these clubs take responsibility and accountability? Mm -hmm. Like they've been the ones running this club. It's your fault that Barcelona in this situation that they're in right now by mismanagement. Players that you've bought, mm. money that you spent, wages, everything. It's your responsibility. So it's your fault you're in this situation. Now, don't look to say, oh, it's unfair, we can't compete. Who, where does the responsibility lie? The responsibility lies at the people who are running the club at that time. I remember the time when the Premier League wasn't seen as a glamorous league. Serie A was the king of Europe at one long time in period. Then I saw the growth in the Premier League with foreign players coming in. And credit to the Premier League how they've done it. They've marketed it to the world. When you watch the Premier League, it doesn't matter what corner of the world you're in. There's going to be a player that represents that corner of the world playing in the Premier League, which will make you tune in when you see the competitive nature, the multiculturalism of the league and the way that the league has been marketed so well and the sellout stadiums with the engagement of local fans wanting to go there. Other leagues have just sat back and got comfortable and haven't done that to push their own league forward. But we're also seeing that in the representation of these ownership groups as well, which as you start to get more and more, like let's say American owners involved in some of these top leagues in Europe, and some of that starts to really become more intertwined, how much more likely do you think that makes a, something like a Super League? It makes it more likely, of course, because like Nigel said, these ownership groups are not from the town, they're not from the community. So, so they're looking it, at it, it as an investment to, to Obviously, yeah, but that's, I, I that's modern football. That's not necessarily yeah, just the American owner's right. fault. I mean, oh, yeah, is it, a, bit, a big bit of it is the American owner. Like most Stop of the clubs it. who went in there this were is... heavily backed by right. American ownership. Yeah, you know, the, the American ownership at Newcastle right now in City. Right. What's that to do? Really, what? what, what? Uh, yeah, Barcelona really... owned by Americans. Real Madrid owned by Americans. Nah, nah, they wouldn't let Americans in. They're not that naive. But anyway. Well, so the English are naive. At least yeah, we figured that out. No, but it's you know what it does. Well, <laughs> this makes this puts pressure on UEFA and FIFA now because I think now with these clubs coming out to reject it, we're going to look to see how the Champions League changes because there's going to have to be changes now. And then with FIFA with the Club World Cup, they're going to have to look at their new format, how they're going to do it to engage the club. So this is going to put pressure on change in Champions League and maybe Club World Cup to try and, and really and kill. Yeah, La, Li La Liga, Real Madrid, Barcelona—they're trying to use this as a bargaining chip probably to make FIFA or UEFA change those rules yeah. to benefit them, of course. Yeah, well, and they need the financial benefit uh, more than anybody else that was ever uh, involved in this back in 2021. We will step aside for a break here on Morning Footy. We'll talk a lot more about the Super League coming up in the show, but coming up next, Adriana Mansave is back with some headlines. season, Galazzo Network has you covered with the best from the best. Starting Christmas Eve at 3 p.m. all the way through Christmas Day, you can watch the best Champions League performances from the biggest stars of the last decade. Watch the greatest matches from Messi, Ronaldo, Neymar, Mbappe, Holland, and more right here on the Galazzo Network. All right, let's send it on over to Adriana Mansalve, who's back with some headlines. But Adriana, first, first, you got to tell us about this kit that you got on. I know it means <laughs> the Venezuela kit. Yes. I'm really proud to wear it today. We have a great 2023. We are in fourth place of the World Cup qualification, and our hopes to qualify for the next World Cup are really, really, really high. <laughs> All right, girl. I love it. I like that color scheme, too. That I yellow love, I love it. Yeah. Vino tinto. And our hashtag is Mano Tengo Fe. Bro, we have faith. 
Oh, yes. <laughs> that's great. Well, yesterday, big news was uh, the European Court of Justice's ruling against FIFA and UEFA in favor of the proposed European Super League. While the news is still not expected to lead to the Super League becoming a reality, it has generated strong reactions from across the sport. Outspoken Napoli owner Aurelio De Laurentiis has joined the, the list of notable names to react, saying, quote, the Super League was a wrong move back in uh, 2021, which, however, brought about, about this change. Now we need to do some serious thinking. Napoli was not part of the original Super League plan in 2021, and it's not one of the more than dozen European giants to issue statements uh, opposing the Super League in the wake of yesterday's ruling. One of the clubs who are still in the European Super League, Barcelona, lost in Dallas in a friendly last night 2-3 to Liga MX champions Club America. The match came just one day after Barcelona posted a 3-2 home win over last place La Liga side Almeria. Oh, Almeria. Barcelona flew 13 hours overnight from Spain to Texas to play in the friendly. After the match, Barcelona manager Xavi Hernández told the media they played the match to help with the club revenue, with the club earning a reported 5 million dollars for playing in the friendly. From Barcelona's current team to a team looking more and more like old Barcelona, Inter's Miami long-awaited move for Luis Suarez is reportedly done. According to multiple reports, Suarez has verbally agreed to a contract with Inter Miami and is expected to complete his deal before Christmas. Miami traded away the third overall pick in Tuesday's MLS draft for allocation money that could help fit Suarez in the team's salary budget. Suarez uh, will be reunited with former Barcelona teammates and friend Lionel Messi, Sergi Busquets and Jordi Alba. In England, Chelsea defender Rhys James underwent hamstring surgery in an attempt to address an injury that has forced him out of action on multiple occasions. James missed last year's World Cup with a knee injury and he's now facing a three to four month recovery time. James addressed the surgery in a social media post saying, quote, since this injury, I've had a good amount of support, but significantly more hate and negativity. Believe me, I don't want to be injured. I'm happiest when I'm playing football. In American abroad news, Johnny Cardoso's long-rumored move to La Liga is reportedly done and will be completed sooner than expected. According to multiple reports, Cardoso has finalized his transfer to Real Betis from Brazilian side international and will make the move in January. The 2022-year-old U.S. men's national team midfielder has been linked to Betis for months. But it's expected summer uh, move has reportedly been expedited by the broken leg suffered by Betis midfielder Guido Gonzalez. Saying this, Charlie Cardoso is coming off a great season in Brazil. He was expected to move to Europe in the summer, but now he's heading to Spain in January. Do you think the move could help him make a push for more minutes with the national team? Absolutely. You're going from the Brazilian league to La Liga. And Betis is seventh in La Liga right now. This is a, a quality side. Guido Rodriguez, William Carvalho, Mark Rocco, who's on loan from Leeds, um, and Andres Guardado, who's 37, he's not getting any younger. I think this is a good opportunity for him to come in. Now, we all know nothing's guaranteed. Playing time isn't guaranteed. Mm -hmm. 
but to put yourself in that environment and push for minutes, it's it's only a step up for for the young player. What do you like about maybe the the style of, of La Liga for for a young American player like Cardoso? Well, it's all about possession, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. keeping the ball, and making smart decisions, good movement. So for for a Cardoso. The U.S. men's national team is progressing in that way. They want to keep the ball. There's no more just figuring out by sending it long or trying to play these desperate balls. It's problem solving in tight areas. That's what Real Betis will do for him. And I think it's great when you're playing against, when playing with. Uh, top professionals who are playing international for for their respective countries. Are you not surprised he didn't get more minutes though? We're playing in the Brasilia, though. Because it's not exactly an easy league to play in and get games in. He's done well in some of the games that I saw him play. Well, he had, he had, he had some injuries, but ultimately he played quite a bit. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You're not surprised still from playing in that league because it's not exactly an easy league. It is very competitive and the skill level is very high. Yeah. That he didn't get more minutes. I think he showed enough to get a big move You're to Europe. You're saying the U.S.? With the U.S.? Oh. Who, who's he going to play over? That's what I'm asking you. No, no, he's not, he's not, he's, he's, at the moment, he's not better than Yunus Musa. He's not better than Weston McKinney. He's not better than Tyler Adams. So it was always going to be difficult he's been given, to break has into he been that. Given more, has he been given the real opportunity to show, like a, a good t- amount of games to well, show? When you get a look at when would he be given that opportunity? And when he was given opportunities, he looked good. Yeah, he's just not enough to displace any of those players at the moment although or you know you look at what is his ceiling I think that's still yet to be determined where is where is he best suited on the pitch I don't think he's necessarily a six like Tyler Adams he's more of like a six keep the ball if a team is sitting back you want to have maybe a, a third midfielder to play with a Tyler Adams and a Eunice Moose or a, or a Weston McKinney it depends on the tactics. It depends on the game plan. But this is a player with a, with a lot of potential, and I'm excited to see what he could do at a club like Real Betis. Also, he's going to be – it's a very technical league. He'll be discovered very quickly if, mm-hmm. he has that, if he has that in his locker or not, and that's what I like. Discovered. Yes. I mean, sinker, yeah. found out, swim. mate. Found out. Yeah. Well, you would say found out. He'd be found and also, out. do you, you believe Charlie disrespected you by saying sending the ball long – Terrible this no That's your oh style, Doug. Are you going to let him come at you You're like going to take one? Give me that Route 1, yeah. Route 1? Oh, yeah. You going to take that? You, behave. Have you seen Chase? Fight, Was that your nickname fight. in high school? Are you, are you, <laughs> this guy. This guy. <laughs> Send him back to Brooklyn where we Charlie from. was too stunned to speak. All right, we I'm not even listening to him. <laughs> we will take What'd a break. And we will have more morning footy uh, when we return. You don't know what to do without a blazer on. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Jeff! Morning Footy. Here is a look at some of the Premier League weekend fixtures to look forward to. West Ham looking to bounce back uh, against Manchester United on Saturday, 7.30 a.m. Eastern on USA. You've also got Tottenham taking on Everton as Everton just uh, on their little revenge tour after that 10-point deduction that they were handed earlier this season. Liverpool taking on Arsenal at 12.30 Eastern. That is going to be a must-watch match between the first and second place teams in the league. And on Sunday,
Monday, you've got Wolves taking on Chelsea on USA. And we have got our good friend Jeff Shreves back in the house. What a treat. Two times in one week, back-to-back -back days. Jeff, I'm loving the Christmas sweater. How are you, my friend? Did you have a fun time celebrating yesterday? I know you uh, put your plans on hold just a little bit to come chat some Super League with us. Yeah, it was good fun yesterday. As you know, it's that festive time of year. Peace and goodwill to all men, apart from Nigel Rio Coca, who argues 365 days a year. So I thought I'd bring a bit of festive cheer to you. You've been found out. <laughs> what do you think of the jumper? I love it. I love it. Merry okay. Christmas. Hey. What are we saying now? Everyone oh else sees God. that, right? Okay. <laughs> Is that a reflection of your personality, Jeff? Oh, my God. Sparkly. Sparkly. It's the Sparkly. only way to go on morning footy show. You've got to liven things up a little bit. I, oh, beautiful. You look I like you were at the one. club last night. That's This is what it looked like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were, actually, they were actually decorations on their piano, and I stole them. I brought them home with me. <laughs> that is fantastic. Um, I, I don't want to... Take the conversation away from your incredible sweater, but we have to. We got to talk uh, some more Super League. And I'm curious, you know, you came on and, and gave your immediate reaction to the news that was coming down yesterday. But, you know, 24 hours removed, just uh, what's kind of your viewpoint of everything that's transpired and all of the clubs that have since come out rejecting uh, the Super League public publicly? <laughs> Can you take anything I say seriously while wearing this angle? You look like you're standing on a cop car. It <laughs> <laughs> was last night. So. See if I can control my sweater without electrocuting myself. <laughs> oh, dear, that's better. That's better. Right. Okay. Uh, reaction to yesterday. Do you know what I think it was like, folks? It's been like, you know, at the end of a boxing match where nobody's been knocked out, and basically you get both of them before the points decisions are announced, going around, going like that, totally unconvincing feeling that they won. It's kind of like that. So, and I don't think actually either of these sides won from this because I think UEFA have definitely been weakened by this because I think a little bit of power has been taken away from them. The new competition has got absolutely zero chance because the Premier League clubs are not going to go anywhere near it. So that's dead in the water. So I think the real winners is the ECA, the European Club Associations. I thought it's quite interesting that all of the clubs especially the six, the big six, when they released their statement saying they wanted nothing to do with this and they would continue working with UEFA and FIFA and the ECA. And what I think potentially will happen down the line, the clubs will want a bigger slice of the action. They'll want to take control of their own destiny. They will agree the format of the competition, but the rules and regulations will end up in the hands of the likes of UEFA. So it'll be maybe, maybe mirror the Premier League where the, the governance, if you like, the rules and regulations is in the hands of the FA, but the Premier League actually run it. That's where I think this is heading. So I think quietly the clubs will be very happy yesterday. But important that they distance themselves from the new proposal. Well, your camera is not what? distancing itself from you. Yeah. We're Jeff. getting a nice, we love your beautiful face, but <laughs> it's uh, it's doing a little dance just like your sweater was. I think your cameraman went out with you last night. That's what I was about to say. Yeah. Yeah. We know you went out, Jeff, but your camera got as well. <laughs> Can your camera stay focused? He's laughing right no now. The camera is laughing. Don't <laughs> not. <laughs> your camera had a good night. Camera's Still recovering. Got, Looks got like Siri was partying last night. <laughs> Siri's got those beer goggles. <laughs> yeah, I think um, I think Sirius had a look at uh, the fixture list and it's like me, it's struggling to, to pick the winner when it looks what's going to happen over Christmas. But it's all about, again, 
I don't know what you you folks make of it. Um, who is going to be top at Christmas? It doesn't guarantee you any. What is this camera doing? It's got like the shakes. I'm going to have to give it a little medicinal whiskey in a minute. Um, it's, <laughs> well, here the dog. <laughs> you don't you don't get to be top you know, at Christmas without being in good form. But at the same time, it certainly doesn't guarantee that you're going to win the title. Uh, I was having a little look. The last time Aston Villa were top, I think it was 1998, and they're the only team ever in Premier League history, who were top at Christmas and then finished outside the top four, which is very, very strange. They actually end up sixth, I think, that year. So they've got the chance tonight to go top um, if they beat Sheffield United, bottom place team. You would have thought, I mean, it would take a miracle for Sheffield United to go there and get something out of that. Yeah. They're really struggling. I mean, when, you, when your top scorer is own goals, i.e. three, from the opposition... It shows you're struggling, doesn't oh, it? Gosh, so they've got geez. Chrissy Wilder's got a big job on his hands. Um, but you know, Sheffield United famously back in the early nineties, they did it. They didn't have a win after sixteen games, and they still survived. So, yeah, but it's not going to happen. Not going to happen. And then, of course, it depends on the result at Anfield, whether or not Villa stay top. If that's a draw, they can stay there over Christmas. Uh, Jeff, um, I want to ask you a little bit about. The, the statements that were put out from these teams, you mentioned that you think they're going to sort of maybe take a little bit more control over their destiny when it comes to the Champions League model. Do you think we'll see a change to the proposed Swiss model that's supposed to start next season? Do you think that will happen or do you think we might see a little bit of a different format? Yeah, um, the fact that it's been proposed and it starts next season, they'd have to move pretty quick, wouldn't they, Alexis? But I think the, and also UEFA said they're looking to improve upon the, uh, their competitions in any way they can. Once again, it, it's almost reading between the lines. There's the nuance, isn't there, that that is, in fact, that they are going to listen to what the clubs are saying. But that in itself as well, though, because, it, you know, they've got to listen to the fans because you can't just have clubs who are, have done traditionally well in Europe qualifying every single year. So under the new model, the, the proposal, Aston Villa wouldn't be in it because they weren't in Europe last time. So it just, it doesn't make sense. I think we'll end up with some sort of compromise. Um, you'll, you'll get the club's, if you like, the club's wishes will come much more to the fore and UEFA definitely with this ruling, this the fact that they fell foul of the European law, the anti-competitive laws, they're going to have to listen a lot more to what the clubs want. I think their days of being total control of all the clubs, I think, I think they're over. Jeff, I know there's the big talking point over the weekend is going to be Liverpool-Arsenal, but I think Nottingham Forest hosting Bournemouth, who have won five on the trot, last game suspended, obviously, against Luton Town. But what can we expect from Nuno Espirito Santo in this match? And do you think Bournemouth can continue to pick up these results? Well, Charlie, it depends. Um, it depends which Nuno Espirito Santos we get. If it's the one we got at Wolves, then I would expect good things from him and he will bring those those players together, that, that bloated squad. If it's the guy we saw at Tottenham where it just did not happen for him, he almost seemed powerless. It, it happened round about him. Um, it, I never liked the, the expression the job was too big for him, but it certainly felt like that. It, just, it was never, ever a good fit. You'd have to say that Forrest are a, a more similar club to Wolves, where he had great success. As for Bournemouth, um, 
they're, they're absolutely flying, aren't they, right now? They play good football. It's taken time for the results to come through, but they really are one of the informed teams of the weekend. But the fact that it is the first game for Nuno at Forest, that makes it much, much more difficult. To be honest with you, Charlie, I think it's going to be a lot like your jersey. This is going to be really, really tight. <laughs> yes. All right, well, it, I'm like a little sausage in this thing, huh? Oh, my God. <laughs> you really are. That is... Uh, Second skin Hey, Jeff, that, that was great. That was great. Well, the big matchup, first place, Arsenal taking on second place, Liverpool at Anfield. Arsenal haven't won there in 13 straight across all competitions. Uh, Liverpool manager Jurgen Klopp talked about how important it would be for the fans to really show up. So we'll take a listen to that and then get your reaction. We need Anfield on Saturday. Without Anfield, I would say after they didn't play this week, just to make sure I know. Sorry, they didn't play. They prepare for this game, and who knows a little bit about them, they will be prepared. So we need Enfield on their toes from the first second. Without me get having an argument with the opposition coach, whatever, we need you from the first second. So if you really want, if it's too much football in December, I don't know. Sorry, we have to play it as well. But if you are not in the right shape, give your ticket to somebody else. Ooh. Wow. He already thrown words. out that excuse of they had time to prepare. Uh-huh. Yeah. We didn't have to play before. Why this. was our stadium quiet when the Manchester, when Manchester United came here? <laughs> All right. Message delivered. Well, he's, he's, he's a wily old fox, isn't he? He's <laughs> ramping up the crowd before the, the opposition have even arrived on the team bus. But look, he's right. They were flat against Manchester United. It just didn't happen on that day. And... Okay, it's a different competition, the Carabao Cup against West Ham in midweek. But once again, we played some outstanding stuff, yet there still wasn't, you know, a fantastic amount of noise coming for our fans. We need you. And also, don't forget this game last season. Arsenal were 2 up. They were cruising. They were in a good position. Then Granit Xhaka got involved in an argument with Trent Alexander-Arnold. It lit the crowd and it turned it into an absolute cauldron of noise. And that's what turned the game, the crowd getting behind Liverpool. So I think there's also, if you like, a subtle nod towards that as well. There's no question. Anfield was one of those difficult grounds to go to. I mean, I think they've lost once in the last 50 Premier League games. That crowd really, really will make a difference. And I think they'll get the message. I think they'll get behind them. And, you know, it's a big, big ask. Well, you you said yourself, look at Arsenal's poor record at Anfield. In fact, Mikel Arteta was in the team the last time they won there. So... They're up against it. And to be honest with you, if Arsenal are really convincing title contenders this season, they need to win this game, don't they? You know, they've already lost away at Newcastle United. They lost at Aston Villa. They need to beat one of their big rivals. So this would be a real statement of intent from Arsenal. And it's a fascinating game. Can't wait for that game. It is the game of the weekend. No question. Uh, Jeff, uh, look, both teams come in defensively really strong. They both have only given up 15 goals. This is going to be a tough, tough match. And I know Arsenal haven't won at Anfield in a long time. But for some reason, it just feels like Liverpool are ripe for the picking, especially with Arsenal and uh, the lack of uh, match congestion that they've had, not to make any excuses for Liverpool. Do you see this changing the uh, result? Do you think Arsenal can go in there and at least get a point? Or do you think this is uh, going to be Liverpool's day? Well, you're right. Um, Alexis, in that they have changed the game, Arsenal. They've tightened up a great deal. I think if you look at their stats for goals conceded, shots on target, expected goals against, various metrics, they're number one in the Premier League. They've really, really tightened up. But that obviously has a knock-on effect in other areas of the pitch. 
I think it's only Luton Town who've scored fewer goals from open play uh, than Arsenal. So the way they are playing, they've got much more control in games. There's no quit. And Declan Rice screening the back four is a big part of that. So that's another element of intrigue, if you like, added to this fixture. What will Arsenal's approach be at Anfield? Will they go for it? Will they, traditionally, it's a fast start at Liverpool, the crowd right on top of you. And a lot of the time, a lot of big, big teams, they just want to stay in the game for the first 10, 20 minutes. Will Arsenal try and go toe-to-toe with them? Or will they try and take some of the heat out of the match and hit them on the counter? I mean, the wingers, Martinelli and Saka, will have a big, big say. Them up against Trent and probably Simicast on the other side as well. They'll be fascinating battles. But Trent Alexander-Arnold loves playing against Arsenal. Has great joy against them every time. I, I like that matchup for Arsenal. Yeah, same. The wings. Martinelli, Saka, Trent Alexander-Arnold, and, and Simikas. I don't think they defend all that well. They love to bomb forward, and maybe that's where Arsenal look to hit them in transition. I think they're going to try and keep possession, take, take that, the, the sting out of the game, and and you just hope to, to just control everything. Martinelli wide stopping uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold from being able to tuck in in the midfield would be fun. Yeah. <laughs> What's so funny now? This, and this, and do, Liverpool, do Liverpool have a real defensive six as well? Just, do they have somebody in there? Have they got a Declan Rice? Mm. That's what's missing from Liverpool. Um, uh, they're struggling mm-hmm. in that centre midfield area. I feel that, you know, McAllister hasn't really gone up there to do what they've expected yet. Uh, that's a problem for them. But Soboslai can be a big problem. I think, uh, for Arsenal. Yeah, the way up. he's playing, he's a bit... Jeff, you should see Nigel's face talking about Arsenal. Yeah. He, he's thinks, he loves them. Yeah. yeah. He's, he can't stop laughing. It just makes him so giddy talking about Arsenal. Uh, quickly, from everyone, <laughs> prediction, Arsenal get the win on the road or, or no, Liverpool? Liverpool. Liverpool? I, I think Arsenal. Arsenal get a result. Liverpool. Jeff? Uh, Anfield is no easy place. Jeff knows it. Jeff knows it. I think that this will be a landmark victory for Arsenal. I think Liverpool have been getting away with it, scoring late on in games. Anfield is definitely a factor. I think Arsenal will go there with real belief. They are rested and, and don't read too much into that. Klopp made plenty of changes midweek. There'll be plenty of different faces out there. I think Arsenal can go there and get something. And I, I think they just might. All right, I've got 3-1, Arsenal. So uh, we... And Ars- uh, Liverpool's keeper situation. Keller is not Alisson, so... I'm going to go Arsenal too. I'm going, I'm going Liverpool. I'm giving Liverpool for being at home. I'm telling you that Anfield crowd with what Jurgen Klopp is doing, he's very smart in what he's doing as a manager. We've seen many managers in big games like this from the great Alex Ferguson play that mind games with the fans and the media and stuff. Klopp knows exactly what he's doing and that Anfield faithful is going to turn up. All right, up we'll see if it is enough state. for Liverpool. Jeff, thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. Enjoy uh, your Christmas, loving the sweater and uh, always great chatting with you. Happy Christmas, folks. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. Yeah. Christmas I everybody. need a night out with your cameraman next time. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all would like to no, have he's, that. He's going to rehab straight after this. <laughs> when we come back, we're talking Man City Fluminense in the FIFA World Cup Club Final. <laughs> 